Let's pray. Father, as we contemplate for a few moments your word, Father, help it to be living, active in our lives. Something we internalize, something we come to understand the best we can internalize. And Father, we choose to be your people to live it out. Guide us and help us. Amen. The series that we have a couple more series left with my time here with you. And with my time with you, I wanted to kind of emphasize some very things that are very important on my heart that I want to convey to you. And this series is about healthy church. What are some of the indicators of a church that's healthy? Some of the help we receive is from our denomination because they have missional markers, they're called. Markers that we can look at and we can evaluate our church or any church to say, how are we doing? And so we pick some of those healthy markers and we're going to take a look at them with our time through this first series. Before our Advent theme, which is God with us, I'm going to do a series on Peter's final remarks in 2 Timothy. Peter gives his final words as he's about ready to, to be uh, killed as a martyr. And uh, Paul has that in, in, in his writings in Timothy. But uh, Peter's second Peter is his final words that he gives to, to his, his beloved churches that he um, oversees. And I would really like to bring those words to you with my departure as well. Not to die, but my departure from here. <laughs> I I'm not, don't think I'm going to die. I got a pretty good physical last time I was there. But the first one, uh, missional marker or healthy church, is the centrality of the Bible. How does the Bible function as central in the life of the church in our lives? These Bibles are a history of my experience with them. When I was growing up at Christmas time, each one of us received one gift from our parents. And we so much look forward to that one gift that we would receive at Christmas. When I was eight years old, I received my first Bible. I still have it. A little bit tattered. King James Version. I memorized all the verses from the King James Version. And I can remember when they gave that to me, I went and I walked into the bedroom by myself. And just thank God for my first Bible that was given to me. The next one is a Bible that I used when I was in college, 1974 to 76 at Oak Hills Christian College. And it has all kinds of notes in here, and this one is well-worn when I used it. And it was a life-changing experience for me at that time in my life. And this is the Bible that I used in all the classes, in all my experience. Since then, 1980, when I went to teach This is the Bible that I used, the New American Standard Bible that I've used over all the years since then to teach. And this is my study Bible, and it's falling apart, but I appreciate so much this Bible in my life. And I really cherish the one that I use now also that you gave me when I first came. You gave me this Bible, and I thank you for it. And I am so grateful, and I'll never forget that you gave this to me as a first gift when I came here ten years, almost ten years ago. My heart is always concerned that the Bible continues to be the central source of truth that governs the life of Roseville Covenant. We humbly bow in reverence from God as he describes for us the truths that need to be lived out in our human experience. I'm glad we're part of the great Protestant tradition that puts preeminence of the Bible and its totality in our lives. We do not have the luxury as we look at the sacred word to pick and choose what we're going to accept in the sacred message of the Bible. As C.S. Lewis says in his letters, I take as first principle that we must not interpret any one part of Scripture so that it contradicts other parts. And specifically, we must not use an apostle's teaching to contradict that of our Lord. 
And I'll never forget watching the video of Martin Luther when he stands before the Diet of Worms and he stands there among all these officials of the church that were going to condemn him to death. And I'll never forget as he stands there and makes his, pleads his case and he says, here I stand. And what was he standing on? The sacred word. If you can convince me that I'm wrong based upon the sacred word, I will change. But here I stand. These Christians, as we face the world and we live in, can we also say with similar conviction as we face culture and face life, here I stand. Here I take my stand. Here I stake my stake in the ground. Some of you have studied the, the whole idea of how we got our scripture, the canon discussion. It's really hard to pin that all down. There's a clear sense that there's human authors and personalities, but they're collaborating with the inspiration of God. That collaborating process, we trust in God's guiding hand. And we treat the Bible by faith that it conveys the truth about you, about me, about us, the world around us, and, and ultimately where we find great hope. The centrality of the Word as we seek to make working knowledge in our lives as we come to understand, as we come to apply it. Have you uh, found yourself saying this? There's a clear passage of Scripture where it's clear in all the, con the, the interpretative methods we use and the best we can do, it's a clear message. It's a clear message. And we say, I don't believe it's true and I'm not going to follow that. You find yourself doing that? Now, that, I'm not saying there aren't complex parts in the Bible that are hard to understand, but something that's clear. And you say, I don't believe it and I don't believe it's true and I'm not going to follow it. You found yourself with that? At that moment and at that time, I want to simply say to us that, even, that we do not believe or does the Bible does not function as an authority in your life at that point. It does not function as an authority in your life at that point. And Paul makes it clear that you follow the teachings of the Bible. He says that you will, folks, suffer persecution. In all, in every cultural settings that we find ourselves, if you follow true, faithfully the teachings of the sacred word, you will experience difficult times. There's a fellow that's becoming one of my friends here at church, and every time I talk to him, we talk about issues of life. He's constantly bringing up the Scripture. But the Scripture says this, and the Scripture says this, and the Scripture says this. He has a working knowledge of what the Scripture says that applies to the, our discussion, and I find it so healthy, and I find it so, I appreciate so much that conversation. Twice. It should be way more than twice time, twice over ten years. You have corrected me. Two people have corrected me and come up after my message and said, I think you missed the passage. I think you were wrong in what you said. And as we talked, I came to the similar conclusion. You know, they're absolutely right. I was wrong. Now, I've done that way more than two times in my time here. <laughs> you can bet your bottom dollar because we're, we're human beings as trying to make sense of what the Scripture says. But I find it so refreshing when somebody comes up and says, I don't think that you're articulating accurately the Scripture. Oh, I find that so much. It never bothers me so much if it's articulated clearly and right that somebody says, I don't like it. it never bothers me. What bothers me is when if I'm articulating something that isn't true based upon the Scriptures. The sad part is I've had many difficult conversations with people even here at church and beyond. And in those conversations on issues that matter in life, rarely does the Scripture even mentioned as a guide. I've had many conversations. Feelings and perception seems to guide the way and rarely is the Bible mentioned as a source in the conversation. 
Folks, we need to develop from the Scripture, continue to develop an evolving Christian worldview formed by proper reverence for the Scripture, diligent study, and dependence upon the Holy Spirit to give illumination. Think for a moment with me the rich truths that we have in the Bible. Just think if we didn't have the sacred word. I am overwhelmed when I see the descriptions in Genesis 1 and 2 of the creation. We wouldn't be able to articulate the, the beauty of the triune God in cooperation, creating this incredible world. We wouldn't get that interaction in how they're creating the world if we didn't have the sacred word. Sure, there's other creation accounts from other ancient writings, but nothing with the dimensions and the power of God's activity in creation. We would not have the understanding of, of human dignity and worth like we see articulated in the height of creation when human beings are the centerpiece where we develop our worth. We're created in the image of God. We stand tall. I was talking to somebody the other day who was struggling with identity, and I took him back to the central principle of you are created in the image of God. You have an unbelievable worth. And you are recreated in the image of the living Christ. If we didn't have the sacred word that articulates to us, where do we find the basis of our worth? In the sea of, of, of change that we live in. Where do we find human moral choice and the consequences of human moral choice that we find in Genesis? Or the fall of humanity where the Scripture describes for us who we really are? What book describes its heroes in such terms of failure? and realism that we see in the sacred word. You're not superheroes like the other ancient writers. They describe this. My brother in conversation, as we were talking one day years ago, he said, you know, for me, the, the, the truthfulness of the Bible is substantiated by its honest description of who we really are. Where do we get the rich concept of justice that's wrapped in mercy, that's articulated, that's spelled out by the prophets? This rich concept of, of reconciliation that's always envisioned in God's justice. Felicity Huffman, I appreciate what the judge said in the case of her penalty that was given to her recently with a scandal of college scandals. And she, the judge says, I hope that this will, rebuild, will help you rebuild your life. And the justice of God and the judgment of God is always in the hope that it will rebuild our lives. Jesus, and his, our God in His great mercy, we see in the prophets, was pleading with the people constantly over and over and over and over and over again, just return to Me. All I want is You to return to Me. But it came a point where God's justice is realized in the judgment of His people, and even then He hopes that that, ju that judgment will turn them around. Where would we get that? True view of justice if we don't see it articulated, wrapped in mercy in the Old Testament. I read a book, I've been reading a book that's called What Has Christianity Ever Done for Us? You know, we can talk about the, the destructive and harmful things that are done on some sort of banner of Christianity that's not good. But folks, when people follow the sacred word and they live it out, there's unbelievable contributions in people's lives. Do you realize that Christianity is, is by far, by far the most racially diverse religion in the world? Did you know that? There's none religion in the world that even comes anywhere close to the racial diversity found in Christianity around the world. We might say it might not be in individual churches. We don't see too many different minority groups among us. But you take globally, there is no religion that people of all over the globe who worship God 
and, re, and it, it, realizing that great vision God has of, of people of all nations working, worshiping God. It's unfolding right before our eyes. But folks, listen to me for just a moment. My biggest concern is in interpretation. How do we study the Bible? I appreciate Marty's classes that help us articulate how we interpret the Bible. We offer Bible classes here so that we can be good interpreters of the sacred word. There's two ways people approach, or approach Scripture. One I think is appropriate and the other one is problematic. My first interpretation class in Bible college and other classes I took at seminary and graduate school, there was one central principle that guides us. It's called exegesis that the process of drawing the meaning from the text in accordance with the context, the culture, and the discoverable meaning of the author. We approach the Scripture in such a way that we don't rip it from culture. We try to understand it within the ancient culture, its context, and what was the author driving at. There's another approach that we fall trap of. It's called exegesis, which when the reader imposes his or her interpretation onto the text. Eisegesis. What did I say? Eisegesis. You're right. Thank you. You went to seminary, didn't you? I like being corrected. By That's good. Thank you. That's twice for you now. <laughs> Three strikes, I'm out, so please. There's nothing more, it's nothing but more than introducing one's own presuppositions, agenda, or bias into the meaning of such texts. In some measure, we are all bring our biases and our human experience to the text. But we cannot put a template or a grid over the text, but let the truth arise from the text and bring it across and then drop it in a culture that we live today. When I was growing up, the grid was dispensationalism. I'm not going to go into what that means, but it was a grid that was put over the Scripture. The problem was that I, there were so many things that the Scripture articulated I never saw because I only saw it through the grid. And we can't put those... The grids might be helpful. Interpretive methods might be helpful, but we cannot superimpose that over the text. And we can't take a new 21st century cultural lens and put it as a template over the Scripture. We would be doing the very same thing. We do that in culture with issues of justice, racism, and sexism. And we need to address those issues in our culture. Those are really, really important. But when we take those cultural grids and we put that over the text, it can become problematic for us. I was talking to some person. They said Jesus is a racist. He called the woman, the woman that he met up in, up in Lebanon, he called her a dog. And superficially, if you look at that, you say, wait a minute, that's, not, that, that, this, that's who Jesus is. Until you understand and really get into that passage and really articulate and understand, Jesus went to her with a purpose of ministering to her, engages her. He isn't using a derogatory term like the Jews were using of Gentiles. He engages and she understands that's Jews first and then ultimately we all benefit. And Jesus applauded her for her unbelievable faith. We have to allow it to rise out of its context. Well, the Apostle Paul accused of being down on women, which is so far from the truth. He's the one who articulated the unbelievable words. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, we're male and female, we're all one in Christ. And he brings women into the context. But he has one guiding principle. I will not allow the gospel to be decurred in any way, even if it means we limit freedom for the sake of the powerful proclamation and living out of the gospel. That's a principle that arises out of the teaching of the Apostle Paul. It's very important, folks, that we keep working at, by God's grace and by His Spirit, to be good interpreters of the Word and good appliers to our present culture. 
Two passages I want to comment just a moment. I only have a few moments. Paul and Peter are weary and tired, and they're anticipating their martyrdom. Second Peter 1, that passage, Peter is very concerned that people are dismissing the story of Jesus as mere fairy tales. Does that sound familiar? Dismissing the story of Jesus as mere fairy tales. That's back then too, folks. He's concerned that false teachings were bringing destructive teachings and lifestyles into the church that went against the primary teaching of the Old Testament and the apostolic witness of those that shared time, hours, days, years with Jesus. We were up on that mountain. We heard the word. This is my son, who I'm a well-pleased. Listen to him. Completely reliable. Pay attention. Jesus is a light in a dark, murky world. No prophecy or teaching. It means teaching. Of Scripture is, is some interpretation of just being an inspired person, enlightened person. It does bring in the human will, but it's not just merely an act of human will, but people are moved by who? the powerful Holy Spirit that moves in their midst to bring us the sacred word, the uniqueness of this revelation of the sacred word which we call the Bible. Paul's final words was given in 2 Timothy. He's concerned with the exact same concerns of, Paul, of Peter, false impostors and false teachers. He believes that the Bible is breathed, God breathed, as Peter does. He encourages us, He encourages us to continue what you've learned, what you've become convinced from your early age, the sacred writings that make you wise so that we can be taught well. Tools for life. Do you realize that the Scripture also is a means of rebuking us? Folks, if we, all we want to do is take the Scriptures and just get the things that makes us feel good and the things that we like, we have to realize that sometimes the Scripture calls us to identify sin and foolishness in our lives and challenges us to act differently. But then it goes beyond that to help us in correction, to build and change, to straighten up when we have messed up. It's a process that guides us towards spiritual maturity. The goal, folks, is maturity. And the means by we do it is the living, living Word. I have great hopes for you folks. You folks love the Word. May the Word continue to be central to us. If we stray from the centrality and authority of the Word in the life of our sea, Roseville Covenant, we will join the ranks of many churches like the churches of Revelation where God removed their lampstand and there's no longer any life, any health, any vitality. Let's pray. Gracious God, guide us in the days ahead. Father, help us to realize the that you have chosen by your wisdom to give us a sacred book, our writings, not based upon uh, people's opinions and people's perspectives, but on the perspective that given to these special people that were enlightened by the Spirit of God to give us truth. May it guide our lives this day and the days ahead. Amen.